Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I'll talk about the first half or so of The Puppet Masters um, by Heinlein, which uh, is a, a more adult novel than what we've been looking at lately. Um, in fact, when I wrote this down on this list, I didn't even know it was a full novel. I, I just assumed like the juveniles are novels and then I think also a short story. But uh, this this was uh, published as a standalone novel at some point. It was uh, serialized in 1951 in three issues of Galaxy Science Fiction, which he didn't publish before in, as far as I know. Mostly it was Astounding, of course, and, uh, and a few others. Um, later on, it was published by, by Doubleday, and I'm not sure when. Maybe it was like the same year. Um, now... I read the, well, the audiobook version I have actually includes a preface that Heinlein wrote like many years later where he talks about some of the influences on this. And of course, we have other books that, that, are, that are sort of connected to this, um, to this theme, I, I guess. We got the, the Body Snatchers by Jack Finney um, and is maybe the best example of that. Um, and of course, they got the Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies that were came out different versions of it. Invaders from Mars might be tied to this. Um, but of course, Invasion of the Body Snatchers are the most famous, the Puppet Masters. A little bit less so. Uh, this, I know this influenced a Star Trek episode of the original series in which you have the same sort of idea of something attached to people physically, which is a little bit different than the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So here... There's a couple like distinctive plot elements that make it different from these other kind of like, you know, mind takeover stories. And that is, you know, the flying saucer thing. So this was written in 1951 when the flying saucer craze had already happened since, you know, like 1948 Roswell. So that was kind of in the zeitgeist. And so he includes that in there just as the means of getting the slug creatures, the mind, the, the mind controlling creatures to Earth. Um, we, of course, have the Red Scare, and that's really what I want to kind of have us think about a little bit, um, but I guess that's the, the second major, major element that really makes us distinctive. I, I think the physicality of the, of the slugs is something, too. I think that's maybe not distinctive to that zeitgeist of the time, like the way the, like the flying saucers are, but it does make for an interest, a, a different plot device. And of course, we've seen this in actually a few Star Trek episodes, one original series. It's in Conspiracy, the Next Generation episode from the first season. There it was like a little tail of the worm is sticking out, but you could physically see them. So um, the question, I guess that brings into the question of like, I mean, obviously the communist Red Scare, this Red Scare with the communism is part of the story that you might be infiltrated by some external force and you become no longer yourself, no longer in control of yourself, controlled by some other force. And communism being that other force that you're being controlled by. You know, Moscow is controlling you through these agents and this propaganda and brainwashing and all that kind of stuff. And of course, as a science fiction device, it's simply an alien is controlling you for sub, uh, subversive conquest of types. 
Um, and of course, that fear is there and it's real. And we, of course, we have the body snatchers, which is a very similar kind of plot. Um, and part of me wants to say this is pretty well done. I'm a little concerned about things. So I, I want to get back to this introduction that I read uh, or I listened to being read where Heinlein was making a big deal of like individualism versus authoritarianism. Somehow the puppet masters, the, the slugs that connect to people symbolizing authoritarianism and mind control. And then our heroes then, I guess are supposed to symbolize individualism. But when you read the actual story, you're like, that doesn't quite work. Because the means by which our heroes try to control this is through authoritarian means, right? At one point, people are, you can't wear shirts because the slug's attached to the back of your neck. And so no one is allowed to wear shirts going out where you have, you know, the paranoia of, oh, you're the bad guy. So I'm going to like oppress you or kill you or whole communities get assumed to be under the control of the, of the slug. And therefore, the state has to come down on them, right? And there's a, a very f a big fear that the innocents will be killed because of this. Um, you know, this idea of conformity as a way of proving your innocence of being controlled by something else. I don't know if that's on purpose, because in that, that introduction, Heinlein seems to be saying this is really the individualists against the institutionalists, against the, the corporate mind or whatever. But our heroes are from an authoritarian institution. Essentially, it's like a, a secret service within the United States. It's not the FBI, not the CIA. It's something like that, though. It's like one of these um, special agencies that has its budget hidden in some, some weird appropriations bill. That has nothing related to it, you know? The way the actual Secret Service is funded through the Treasury Department or whatever. Um, but of course, this is secret. It's, it's, it's a hidden uh, item in the, in the budget. But they're willing to do murder. They're willing to uh, infiltrate sense, kind of infiltrate and, and, and convince the president that he has to take extreme measures. Uh, they're willing to, like, kind of suspend Congress in a way because Congress is apparently under, at least partially under the threat of these slugs. So to protect liberty, liberty must be taken away. Now, I wonder, at the time, I think that's the tension and that's what makes this novel kind of good. But it also, if it really is supposed to be the individual versus the collective, it kind of fails because both sides have their own collectivist, authoritarian approaches to it, right? Um, so I don't know. I'm going to have to finish the novel before I kind of make a final judgment about this. But halfway through, up to the halfway point, that's kind of my concern. I, I read the first 15 or 16 chapters. This is a long one. This one's 35 chapters, 34 chapters. The audiobook's like 11 hours. It's twice as long as one of those juveniles. But it's... Um, Anyways, that's it's, it's 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 mind control bug creatures from Titan is is the story we got. Um, now it's set in the future. It's set about fifty years in the future, where the Soviet Union and the the United States essentially. I think it includes some other states at that point, but um, it's like post Cold War in a way, where there was some kind of war that devastated both sides, and. And this, and this means like the United States kind of moves to rural areas. The center of America becomes more the Midwest. 
in the heartland while the coasts are still in the process of recovery, right? Um, there's a, but there's essentially a communist bloc and a Western bloc, but they're both in recovery after, after the war. Um, so that setting, nothing new there. Um, in some ways, this feels like a throwback to some of the astounding novels we, we've read uh, before, in that um, you can tell Heinlein wanted to get back to some adult themes, and he fits them all in, stuff that he couldn't really do in the juveniles. In one part, the juveniles are, are I mean, their audience is kids, so there's a limit or young, young adults, young, young men. It, it, his audience doesn't really allow him to explore all his, like, you know, the, the more horny aspects of what he wants. So, I, I mean, I, had to, like, I, I thought it was incredibly funny when Heinlein has, like, the president just, like, come out with a shirt on and, and, and announce that everyone has to go around without a top on, right? Um, women are allowed to wear, like, a, like a certain type of brassiere, a certain type of, like, uh, almost like a sports bra, as long as it doesn't cover up too much. It's because of where the parasites latch onto you behind the neck, um, where it can be exposed. It doesn't latch onto other parts of the body because it's a mind control thing, so it has to be there. So you don't have to have everyone walk around completely naked, which he probably maybe wanted to do. I imagine he wanted to do that. You know, he's got that nudist strain. But this is the first nudism we've seen in a, in a while. I know it comes up in Dora against Summer. When... I, he did a lot of it in the 40s, but I think his more popular fiction writing, the stuff he's done in like Saturday Evening Post and those journals and the juveniles kind of did not allow him to explore these like social, sexual politics stuff or even feminism quite as strong. We've seen some feminist stories, <clears throat> but you can tell he also really wanted to have a strong female protagonists who are always hot, right? Um, that's the cliche we've seen before. So in that sense, it's a throwback, but it's in a good way because we miss this stuff. If we're reading Heinlein's work chronologically, we're like, yeah, we, we, we get the sense that the juvenile format, as great as those books are and, and, and have been, they, they are a bit limiting on some of these. So for instance, we have um, like these, these guns that set people on fire, these like ray guns that set people on fire. We have... Uh, Contractual marriage, which is something we've seen before in his fiction, I think all the way back to uh, um, like for us still living, we've seen ideas on marriage not being a big deal. Marriage is just kind of a, contra a contractual deal. We see the strong uh, women uh, protagonist throughout the story. Uh, here we have a secret agent who's who's a woman. Uh, Heinlein can't resist always making them sex objects and targets of the sexual gaze of men. But it's just something you got to get used to in his, his fiction. His competent women are always, are always hot. But I imagine the men are, too. It's just, he doesn't describe them quite in as much detail. Of course, our point of view character is a man. Um, and he goes by the name of, of Sam throughout the story. He's uh, um, essentially his code name. I, his real name is given at one point, but I didn't write it down. Um, it doesn't really matter. He just goes by Sam. Um, and he works for this, like this, essentially like a secret CIA kind of group. It's um, the head doesn't even have a name. He's just called the old man. He's got a code name too, and they're within the the U.S. government. And they go to investigate a, a flying saucer that's landed in Des Moines. And and again, remember, like the center parts of America that weren't as devastated by the war, 
do become the center of it. And also, we get a sense of like America's been largely rebuilt from the war because there's a scene where there's, there's actually a plot point in the middle of the story where where there's videos of everyone walking around with our top on conforming to the policy, the, the bareback policy or whatever I think it's called. Um, or the, yeah, the bare shirt, bare, bare top. Uh, they're, they're, I forget the name for it. Um, poly, you know, they're, they're advertising, they're conforming to it. But then the question is like, this could be literally any city or any town in America. It doesn't have distinctive architecture, which suggests it's kind of all been rebuilt, maybe by the same kind of construction companies that are just like rapidly rebuilding the town, kind of like how Russia had to do that after World War II, you know, built in the Khrushchev years, and, and that just built these huge apartment complexes that sort of sucked and had a bad reputation, but of course were necessary because you had millions of homeless people who needed to be put in homes quick, so you're not going to get the best housing in that situation. So I don't know. Or is he just making a comment about middle America just being boring and all the same? He might have been doing that too. Um, but anyways, they go investigate. They, they actually, he's not the first agent they sent. They sent a few others and they vanished. And Sam goes there with Mary. Um, and of course, they, they sort of hit it off immediately, or at least Sam instantly kind of falls for Mary. Again, competent, beautiful um, woman. Was able to use her sexuality as a, you know, in her work as an agent. That's called out several times. Again, you can tell Heinlein's been sitting on his hands and wanted to talk about this stuff for, for a while, and this novel gives him a chance to do that. But anyways, he discovers the former agents had been taken over. He has to, to kill them, and the, the slugs are taking over. One by one, the people. And it's a bit of a mystery, like, how extensive it is. Like, they do mark certain areas as like contaminated later in the book and some areas as clean, especially once they institute the, the no shirt policy. They're able to like declare some areas like protected. Um, obviously we're gonna have like a pandemic COVID-19 flashbacks if you're reading the story now where there's kind of these national rules that seem to outlive their usefulness but are still necessary for spreading, you know, to stop the spread of disease like the masking. You know, I was, even I was one of those people really annoyed at masking in Taiwan well beyond the, you know, when there were cases. And then there was the huge blow up uh, of cases and then people stopped masking not long after that once it kind of got out. But it seemed to be going on forever. And it's like, when is this going to end? You got that feeling with the, with the no shirt policy where it's just like, we're clean. Why do we need it? Well, the minute people start wearing shirts again, then you don't know if you're clean, right? It's it's the only way this this can work. So you have to sacrifice your individual freedom and your civil liberties to do that. Of course, in Heinlein's mind, taking off your shirt, or taking off more than your shirt, a lot of nudity in this book, um, is great. One of those good things, you know, uh, civil liberty more people should partake in, in his mind. He's like Gene Roddenberry in that way, right? Like super horny, like the sex stuff in Star Trek. Someday I do want to write about this, but the sex stuff in Star Trek is like the most Roddenberry you can get, right? It's not a betrayal of that. Um, some people criticize some aspects of new Star Trek for having too much nudity or sex or horniness. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's about as pure Star Trek as you can get. I think one of the earliest episodes of the original series is 
is it the Naked Now one? It's like he's almost starts one of, like almost the first episode of Star Trek is like a horny episode. Um, Heinlein's in that camp. Heinlein's definitely on the on the the in my view the good side of science fiction. Um, anyways. Um, the plot goes, Sam comes back, he reports on this, and then uh, there's, there's a, the question, how do we convince the leadership that this is a real problem, that we, you know, the slugs are taking over, the slugs are going to spread, and we need to take extreme measures to fight the war against them. And that's going to mean tracking down the slugs. And... They lose their window, essentially. That's the port plot point, is they lose their window into to, to crack this down. And that's told, again, about halfway through the novel, we're told, had, by Sam anyways, that had we had this policy of no shirts right away, if we had actually been able to stop it early on, if he had just killed everyone in Des Moines, maybe, like that would have stopped the invasion. But it gets out, like a virus, like anything else. It gets out, and then you have to deal with that, that fact. One really interesting twist in this story, which I didn't expect, um, and I, you know, you don't normally see that maybe in these stories, uh, mind control stories where the protagonists get taken over. I guess it happens. Like Picard got Borgified at one point, but um, you know, conspiracy. The Star Trek episode plays with this idea. Yeah, I, I think it's common enough. But what's cool about this is, like, on a on a TV show, it's one thing to have a main character get possessed and then you fix it at the end. Here, we're all in Sam's mind, so we get a few chapters where Sam is taken over by the slug, and we get to see his how his mind works under that. And it's not that he loses; he's not just an automaton, right? There's actually kind of some peace and comfort that comes. Now, when it's gone, and he thinks back, oh, that was horrible, I don't want it again. That was a horrible experience. But while he is mind-controlled, he has some peace to that. It's like he's just the puppet, and he still can think, but he, he attunes himself to his master. He talks about him as his master. And, it's, and he goes along with it. He goes along with his plans. And basically, Sam is using the Constitution Club which is like Washington, D.C. elite club, right? So it's got a lot of wealthy, famous, important people in government, important financial people, just a lot of the, the best, the social best. And he infiltrates that group with the slug, and he begins to then use this to spread the slug consciousness to others. Um, in elite. So that's part of the problem is it breaks through among the elite. And I think a question I still have at the midpoint in the story is how many of these slugs actually have spread? It's like even in the infected areas like Des Moines. Um, there's some others, but Des Moines is like the ground zero infected area. How many slugs does it take to infect a place? Or do you just need people in the right places? Right? And again, that's always a, a bit of a trope by this point of this kind of story. Um, but it's not just everyone has to be it. It's like the real fear is, of course, the president being infected. And, you know, his secretary is a woman. So I guess, you know, getting her with her top off, it's not a bad uh, thing for Heinlein. He's, he, he, he thought this through carefully. Maximum nudity was, is the name of the game in this story. Um, there was even nudity before, like, this, like the slug thing. It becomes a, a counterbalance to the slugs, I think. Anyways, uh, Sam uh, eventually gets captured 
and they're able to take the slug off of him. This is important too because it tells us people can survive this. You know, you take the slug out and they are now, they can go on with their lives. Um, Sam uh, is in recuperation, but then uh, they attach the slug to like a gorilla to see how it survives and to study it, but eventually they need to question it. So they basically, the, the old man, the head of the section, basically says, well, if you're not going to volunteer to do this, it's going to be Mary's volunteer. And, and you're still hot for Mary. So, so this forces Sam to put the slug back on under a controlled environment in order to question him. Um, and he is questioned. And eventually through this, it's not as it happened right away. In fact, the slugs are pretty good at keeping information from being leaked entirely to the puppet's brains. Um, but they're not entirely capable of doing that. So um, we ask them questions like, where are you from? And he tries to, you know, the slug tries to gaslight them um, and trick them and, and give them false information. But eventually Sam's able to be hypnotized and like, oh, yeah, they're on Titan. Um, so we know where they're at. And so this opens up the possibility of, a, of an attack, a counterattack. But first they have to clean up things at home, which means make sure the president, Congress are not infiltrated to make sure that, um, you know, and then laws have to be passed. And that's this topless policy. I still think he must have wanted it to be nudity. And then some editor at some point said, no, we're, you know, why do you have to like be completely naked if, you know, why do women have to, can't women wear a bra? It's on the back of the neck, right? It's a slug there. You could you know, and then Thailand's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll let them wear a bra. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I think that's about halfway through the story, more or less. Um, we learned that this policy is not really working. It's working in a sense to, as defense, it's working to stop the spread, but huge chunks of America are already like infiltrated. And you can't trust the messages coming from them because elite figures and people in power are sending false messages and, and you know and, and nothing can be trusted from these regions so sam has to go there he has to go to uh i think he goes somewhere in the midwest uh, kansas city i think he has to go there and basically spy around and um and learn about them, be a, you know, do his spy thing. So it's actually the first real spy moment of the story, but it's about halfway through. So I'll, I'll talk about the rest of the story next, next time. Um, I, um, I have mixed feelings about this novel. Like part of me says it's ideologically kind of confused, but I also think Heinlein is, um, I think Heinlein wants to really, I think he really does want to do this individual versus the institution kind of thing. Um, but he must have realized that if we're actually going to fight this, it's like fighting a, a pandemic, that individual liberties to some degree have to be sacrificed for the greater good, right? And um, And that's not fully fleshed out yet in the story. I hope it does. Like, I, I, think, I think the way it's going, I think the way it's going to go, is that this is going to become more and more muddled. 
and and that the the puppet masters, the slugs, will will be changed as much as the humans will be changed. I, I think that's where I kind of want the story to go. But I haven't seen the movie. I I only kind of know this trope, um, and I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I mean, the easy story to tell is that yes, they finally eradicate the slugs and destroy Titan and live happily ever after. But that's not as interesting as if some sort of reconciliation is made between these two forces. So that's where I think it's going to go. I think it's going to go somewhere where there's going to be some kind of mutual change brought about this, where you end up with more of a symbiotic kind of species emerging. Um, in that sense, that totally breaks down this idea that it's the individual versus the institution and the individualists have to win out. Um, now, I think if that's going to be the theme, he made a mistake by really having our point of view characters be the authoritarian section. If he would have had his point of view characters be commoners or social movements or, or other groups within American society resisting this, that'd be more interesting. And to be fair, he has done that before in some of his novels really looking at resistance um, or short stories looking at resistance, novels too for that matter. So I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it at that because I'm, I, I don't quite know where the story is going to go, and it's hard to talk about these these broader themes. Um, you know, it's it's a compelling story. It, it's a bit long. It's been on the long side, like I said, about 11 hours audiobook version. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, finish up the story, see where it goes, and see if it answers some of my questions about this. And then um, maybe I'll watch Operation Annihilate, which is the original series Star Trek episode, and then maybe watch like... Uh, Conspiracy. I don't know if I'll watch the movie. I'm not, unless there's naked people in it. Um, I don't know. Let's look at the Wikipedia on this. Um, slugs, slugs, slugs. Guy, oh, here we've got Sam. There's Andrew. Where's Mary? Two, two dudes. That's not interesting. Um, Yeah, I don't see nudity here. I don't see that. I don't know. Maybe. If I have time. Probably won't have time. But I, I think I'll watch the Star Trek episodes. So that's going to be it for now. Uh, the next episode probably will be a little lengthier as I'm going to kind of finish up the story and then maybe talk about some of these adaptations of, of, of the plot and we'll, and we'll see how I feel about it at the end. Um, yeah, anyways, I think there's maybe one more story before we get to uh, the Rolling Stones, which is the next juvenile. Uh, I forget. But yeah, there, I, think there's, I think there's one more short story I need to do. But that's, that's coming up in the future, too. So anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll let you know what I find, my final thoughts about the Puppet Masters next time. Um, I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.